Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Okay, yeah, so here we go. Welcome everybody to uh, Launch with Tech Leaders. Um, we're gonna have a conversation on site reliability engineering and a bunch of acronyms. Uh, so we're gonna learn a lot today. We're gonna get some great insights from our uh, panel of industry experts and leaders here. <laughs> no uh, pressure, guys. <laughs> Uh, we are at the top of the food chain with who we've brought to the table here day, today. So I'm going to do a little quick round of introductions. Uh, first up, um, a staple of our talks is uh, Tom Kowalski. Say say hi, Tom. Howdy. Hello. Tom Kowalski. Been in the industry for uh, over 15 years now. Mostly focused on uh, consulting, contracting around um, data systems integrations. And you are an AWS community builder, correct? That's correct. How did you how did you get that distinguished title? Uh they they reached out to me. Like the step have you ever heard of like if you haven't heard of it, there's like the AWS Heroes, which is like the step higher, right? And yeah, the, the next tier. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that on your LinkedIn. I was like, that's that's impressive. All right. Over to Jordan. Uh Jordan De Beer. Welcome. Hey there, yeah, I'm Jordan DeBeer, customer engineer at Google, mostly focused on like application modernization, which really is just a means kind of like everything DevOpsy, containers, serverless, um, with a little bit of SRE stuff built into that. Um, I live here in Michigan. I work out of the Detroit office, um, but I'm located in the small town of Brooklyn, Michigan, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, mostly focused on helping grow GCP customers and uh, you know, setting some cool standards and strategy around all stuff application modernization at Google. Nice. And how long have you been with Google? I think it'll be two years now. And then prior to that, I was actually at AWS for a little bit. So oh, wow. um, I definitely have some AWS experience as well. Cool. And uh, last but not least, we've got Kyle Robertson. Hello. Hello. Hey, Kyle. Hey, I'm Kyle. Uh, I am currently an SRE at GitHub. I've uh, been there for like seven or eight months. Uh, I work from the small, humble town of Berkeley, Michigan. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great to have you, Kyle. So um, yeah, let's just dive in. Um, where should we start? Let's, uh, I always uh, like to start with a little bit of history yeah. of, of the SRE field. Like how did it, how did it become a thing and like, why is it a thing? So, so Kyle, Jordan, take us away. Once upon a time in the in the past, pre-internet, right? You 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 shift software in a CD or something like that, and that was it, right? Like, generally, you're hoping it was pretty good. If something was wrong, you could make a patch and ship out another CD. But really, like that was that was the end. But then the internet came along. And people started being able to use software via the internet, right? You go to, you know, GeoCities and see cool GIFs. Uh, 
uh, you know, that, that was like a novelty, right? Like people were, were, you know, we still didn't have like smartphones and stuff. So people generally had one computer. So, you know, they would go use it at certain times during the day and that was it. But as the 2000s rolled on, along and we started getting smartphones and more things started becoming doable on the internet, people started to rely more and more on these things to, to do their things in their daily life. And at that point, there became an expectation of, hey, this thing needs to be up and available because if it's not, I can't do the things I need to do in my daily life. So we really needed a way to, to focus on availability and be able to describe how, if something's available and like to what degree and also give customers a promise of like, this is how available our system's going to be. Um, and that's really where we're at right now. And that's kind of how the discipline of cyber liability engineering started. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that Jordan. Definitely, it definitely makes sense. Like, you know, as we saw more and more people relying on the internet and like software as a service and things like that. And it, it added, it kind of changed how like we thought about engineering and, and like operations and uptime as well. Um, you, you know, it used to be like a service went down and like you would just like either page a ticket or like call, put, cut a ticket to like a sysadmin or something like that. And they would awaken from their deep, dark basement and like go fix it whenever they had the time to, you know, stop putting out fires. And then we kind of changed to a model exactly like what you're talking about, where we had like these responsive 24 seven, like network operation centers. And they're really just kind of not sitting around waiting for things to happen, but just being prepared for when the inevitable like systems uh, failure does happen. Um, and, and I think Part of the reason that SRE comes into that is the, the responsive model didn't really scale too well, right? We stuck a bunch of people in like a room and just told them to sit around and wait for things to go wrong. Um, and they kind of had to, as things went wrong, react still to those sorts of things. So SRE at least gives them a way to know when to react and how can you prioritize like what's a, when should we should be delivering features versus focus on reliability things like that. So I think SRE really comes in after we go from like a reactive to a responsive model to now more like an automated system and things like that. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but is it, it didn't, isn't Google the birthplace of SRE, the SRE discipline? Yeah, yeah. Google, you know, invented the term like SRE and it was really our take on like, hey, how can we take software engineering best practices, something Google is really good at, and apply them to operations? Um, so, so it's really kind of the taking a lot of engineering, specifically software engineering um, uh, things and applying them to the operations side. And from that, kind of the term SRE was founded. Um, the movement did start kind of like partially with inside Google and partially out. Um, just via like DevOps and, and SRE is really just kind of Google's flavor or take on it. DevOps is a philosophy, SRE is a role. Um, th that's kind of how we see it internally and how we kind of, we broadcast it to the co our, our customers and just people doing internet things, so. Yeah. Um, and then, so a question for both of you, I'll start with Kyle though, like when you, at the, your respective organizations, um, is there DevOps engineers, quote unquote, or a GitHub? Is it like you're an SRE or you're a software engineer? Do they have, do they even have like these quote unquote DevOps type roles? Because I agree with you, Jordan. DevOps is a philosophy. It's a practice. It, I, I've never been a fan of having a DevOps engineer, um, but you know, here we are, right? So Kyle, what, what, how do they set it up at GitHub? Sure. Yeah. So, so there are SREs, obviously, um, but I would say that, you know, DevOps 
is a practice and it's a shared responsibility model, right? Like uh, service teams are enabled to, you know, uh, deploy their own codes, make changes to their pipeline, et cetera. Like, uh, and it's it's ultimately their responsibility as well, but th we do provide assistance and, you know, there's other groups that are experts in different pieces of that chain that can help provide assistance. Um. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good kind of uh, you know background on what SRE is, how it came to be. Um, so let's dive into something a little you know a little more that we want to talk about today, which is uh, these acronyms. Um, we'll start with SLIs. What's an SLI? Why do I need it? Why do I care about it? So I think to 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 talk about that, we first need to talk about like we need to be able to measure availability and provide some kind of quantitative like this is how available because if i just say yeah our service is available like what does that mean uh and it's going to mean different things to different people so we need to be able to provide a number or some kind of thing that is like quantifiable and the same for everybody um to to to, to show that and the only way we're going to be able to do that is we need to figure out some kind of way to say this is how our service is performing and at the very root of it is SLIs, which is called, stands for service level indicators. And these are very base metrics that you can use to measure your system. So for example, it could be like request latency. It could be uh, error rate potentially of, of, of requests. There's plenty of other things too. Those are just the two examples I can think of. Ultimately, it's going to be metrics that are meaningful to your system that you're measuring and that can represent how available it is. Okay. Um, Jordan, anything to chime in on that? Yeah. Um, a lot of people, when they think SLIs, they kind of what comes in their head, you know, maybe they're like they're Prometheus metric labels. And, and that's definitely like a good kind of like starting place for like what sort of these things are. The way I like to think of it is, you know, we had just talked about kind of like availability history and like the big one is kind of just like Nagios, right? It would like this black box running somewhere. It would reach out and like try to connect to a thing. And if it connected that thing, it was up. The way that I thought about it is before, you know, we had this function called like is service up um, and it returned a true or a false. But once we started moving to more and more like distributed systems, true and false doesn't tell you the whole story there, right? You know, if it takes like a minute to connect and do your thing, no user is going to meaningfully perceive that as up. So, you know, we started looking at like, is service up? Well, like we can connect within, you know, 100 milliseconds. And, and that's our, our, uh, our, our definition of kind of like up there. And from that, we can actually do way more cool like math and, and actually just tell like, what is the health of our service from zero to 100 as opposed to, you know, true or false zero or one on or off. So, yeah, SLIs are, are kind of the, the way that we, we move it from like a Boolean value more of a you know how do we want to measure this thing could be latency um number some sort of like division number of healthy good requests versus bad requests and things like that is there like a set of like these are the must-have slis for any web-based application yeah. or is there like a standard like in the industry like this is like a, you know a named standard this you know common slis I mean, generally, you're probably going to look at like latency and like the threshold of good over total um, as a very base. Um, it could, and and really, I think from there, it's obviously it could differ depending on like 
what your system is, cares about. Uh, but those generally end up being the two primary ones that you're measuring. So if there's a, like yeah. a like a set standard right in the industry, who who kind of decides what they are? Like within, I know you're both in larger organizations, and I tend to think like the the, the smaller ones. So, uh, you know, implementing you know them personally it was, you know, it's kind of gray area. I'm like, you know, who's doing it? So yeah, how how does it work in the larger organizations? Yeah, there's something called like the four golden signals, um, which yeah. isn't fully encompassing of all kind of like metrics that you should measure, but it's the four kind of like standard or or like big ones that you should really be um really be looking at there. They're all kind of described in the um the SRE book from Google, which is kind of like our you know, when we like invented SRE, it was really the publication of the SRE book when we kind of like externalized that thing. Um, outside of Google, I feel like that it was like more invented than when we made it internally. Um, but those four golden signals are like latency, traffic, errors, and saturation. Saturation. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's like the last one always gets me there. Um, and, and that's really what you should at least start looking at when you're looking at like defining your SLIs. Um, you might have something that's outside of that. You might have some more kind of like uh, complicated metrics, something that maybe brings in a couple different like SLIs and, and adds them together or something like that. Um, but those are your four kind of like base level indicators that are almost always going to be something that's important in, in measuring the health of essentially any web application or any sort of like application and things like that. I'm kind of familiar with uh, with New Relic and they kind of combined those SLIs together, right, to form their uh... I forget what they call it. It's like a little rating, right? The little health rating. Um, I guess, are there industry standards that kind of make like a, this is one number, right? Your health, or is it kind of just, just the mm. pick and choose? You know, the app decks with the, app with decks, New Relic, that was it, you know, yeah. Where, and then that was, it was like, there was an app decks for like the latency. And then there was like app, app decks for other things as well. So yeah, it was, it was kinda, like, they well, there's like a main one that they kind of like bundled in like errors versus requests, and there's like a formula that they have. Like okay. little, yeah. I wonder if they're trying to reduce like cardinality or something potentially. Um, so we'll, we'll cache. Okay, so I built my app. I had talked to my friend Kyle. He said, "Hey, you got to monitor this thing." So I I slapped some Nagios on there, macaroni, whatever you call it. Um, and I'm I'm tracking some metrics. So then, what do I do? So okay, so I've got I'm at least I I have I have these SLIs, and then where do we where do we go from there? So the next step really is you you you're going to want to define you have all these metrics right. You're going to want to define okay, well what's an acceptable threshold for them right? Like if we're collecting like some metrics that show us like the ratio of good over total requests, like their next step would be like okay, well what's an acceptable percentage or acceptable rate of like of of percentage good uh, for my service to to be considered available, or what is like an acceptable la latency threshold, something like that. So your next step is going to be looking at those, and that target, it's usually it's represented usually as a percentage, and that is what we call a service level objective or an SLO. Um, and when when you're looking at this, it can be tricky because like if it's a brand new service, you don't really have a lot of data to look at. You kind of have to make an educated guess based on like what kind of system you're you're making. Is there any kind of similar parallels? 
if you're looking at like an older system, let's say you have like a, a, a legacy system that you want to move to this model with, you can look at historical data and get like a kind of a gauge of like, okay, this is what we're, what we see, we can kind of say, hey, like we can go for this target. And, and generally you want to start like, you want to give yourself some like, maybe I'm going too much in the weeds, uh, but generally you want to like start kind of a little bit lower to give yourself some breathing room because you always want to reevaluate these right over time because the your customer's expectations change, your system changes, and that's going to change how reliable your system is. Um, that was a lot. Sorry. So I'll no, it's good. Jordan, yeah, I'll give no, you a chance covered, to chime I, in. Yeah, no, I think you covered like a lot of the points really well. Um, the the thing about like when you're picking that number though is it shouldn't go on like what's like what do you think you can obtain what do you think like you're currently doing you shouldn't use kind of just like those sorts of things to help decide what your s low is going to be it really needs to be driven by your your users what they're actually trying to do um that could be internal like users you know a large organization you might have like internal teams that have ex internal customers as well or they might be end user end users um that's kind of the big big uh kind of like draw of SRE is providing like a good reliable experience um the other thing is that your slo should not be 100 uh i think if you kind of had to take like one little piece of sre um just kind of tautology that you have to believe because it is true is that um systems are not 100 reliable and they never will be um if you don't believe that then like you should probably not do sre at all um it it basically says that failures are inevitability it, there things are going to go down and SRE really kind of helps track like how you can manage those sorts of things and failures. It doesn't go into any detail on how to fix those failures, just what sort of things you should be looking at in order to kind of communicate those things. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, if, if your SLO is 100%, um, you're probably not going to make it. And it, it's not a real good metric to aim for. Um, it, it's not healthy. Um, you'll never be able to eliminate the operational toil um, that it's required to get to that 100% availability over over a given period of time. Again, so, who owns the the like the SLOs, right? Who sets them? Who you know? Who's who's tracking them? And, you know, who, who cares, right? Is it like a shared thing? Is it you know like product owns it or is it? Yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah, I think it would be, you know, like a um, you, you, when we talk product, you know, we might mean like an application or like a group of microservices and things like that. At the end of the day, I think they would be the real owner there, but that's really driven by, you know, uh, customer, you know, uh, customer expectations. You, at the end of the day, if, you know, they only need 50% availability or something like that, um, yeah, you, you could, you know, set it to, 55% or something like that, aim a little high or something. But at the end of the day, I think the product team or whoever owns the application is the one that has to say, yeah, we can do this, uh, this SLO. Um, this is what we meaningfully think that we can get and what we're aiming for and, and, and you know, the, the path that we're choosing to go forward on. And, and I agree 100%. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go for it. I was gonna say, I agree 100% with like the customer centric. Cause like you can pick a number, but like, if you're like, let's say you pick 99% for like, you know, availability. Uh, if your customer is like, actually I expect 99.9, .9, like your number is kind of meaningless at that point. Like you, you, you definitely want to drive availability based on what your customers expect. And like getting that continuous feedback is going to help influence that. So I 100% agree with you on that. I think so one it, really good story around that is the fact that um, 
your SLO, you should not meaningfully exceed it. Um, so if you want to be up 99% of the time, at the end of the year, you should probably be up around 99% of the time. Um, you know, customers expect like availability or, or you know, what, what we kind of define as availability with like request latencies and things like that. Um, so if you're meaningfully exceeding that, you've, you've altered the customer expectations regardless of anything that you've said. Um, there's a really funny story within Google where we had a distributed service called Chubby. Um, it was a distributed locking service. And um, it was getting, it, it, I think it's SLO was not five nines of availability. So like very little downtime and they were exceeding that, which is, you know, in most organizations, like a really cool thing. Um, but Google actually decided to start like dropping requests in order to get closer to that five nines of availability. And it's super important because it stops your users from expecting, you know, really like good days, like bad days are going to happen. So you need to be able to, in any distributed system, um, account for that sort of thing. So while your users are the ones that are kind of like setting it, um, they're probably always going to say 100%. And, and we already kind of mentioned you can't get there and you don't want to exceed what you say that you can get because um, it, it can cause some issues in, uh, in setting their expectations incorrectly, I think. So in talking about the the users and and setting that, I feel like that kind of segues into the the SLA. Right now, how how do how do those play the SLA and the SLO? And what is the if SLA? I could, if I could have one last question on the SLO, are, should we have tiered SLOs? Like my my system is in a warning state, right? Like you know, latency is down but not terrible like you know i always struggled with that i've done this you know type of monitoring and it's always like well there's kind of like a threshold of like if it's below this it's there's something we should look into versus like you know the the poop hit the fan you know scenario right so do you do you guys like tier the slos or is that kind of overcomplicating it so there's the concept of looking at like the burn rate of of your your SLO, so that's like kind of the rate in which you're because you have a budget of time, right? Let's say you you uh, say your availability is like nine nine point nine, gives you like amount of time per evaluation period that you can be down. So uh, you can represent like that as a as a burn rate. So how far how much are you burning into your budget in for a given time? And that's a way you can kind of like preemptively figure out like okay, well we're kind of approaching a bad a bad point here. We should probably do something um, before you completely fail your 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 SLO. Yeah, that's one hundred percent what I was going to mention as well. Looking at like the burn rate of your SLO is super super important. Um, you, you can actually use that that burn rate to calculate you know when you should spend time prioritizing features versus reliability, which in itself is a feature, right? Um, you know, most systems you know at, at a given scale. Uh, you can get significantly higher availability by turning off like your pipelines and your version control and things like that. Um, if you don't make any changes to your application, it's going to be really stable. Um, just don't change anything. And, you know, you can figure out really well how to keep that one thing alive for as long as possible. Um, kind of doesn't really work. You know, features need to get added and things like that. So your SLOs, you know, in addition to the burn rate, once you start getting close to that sort of thing, it lets you say, hey, like we've used up all of our error budget. We're only halfway through the month. We're going to spend the rest of our time prioritizing reliability engineering, um, you know, making our software engineering to make the application or the service more reliable as opposed to adding new features and things like that. Because, you know, you're either at risk of uh, exceeding your SLO or, 
um, you know, pretty close to it and you don't have a very good margin for, for how much risk that you want to take and, and allow your, your software engineers to, to have to, you know, do crazy stuff. Yeah, that's a really interesting concepts with that, it, like on the burn rate piece, because I'm coming from my experience in a small business where it's like, you know, the service is dick, like slower than normal, right? You know, let's say the latency is, you know, 2x what it normally is, but the thing still works. So are we really going to drop everything we do to like stop working on features to address, you know, this, you know, quote unquote SLO that's not being met? Um, so I think it's real easy for businesses to say, yeah, we're not going to prioritize that. Um, just adjust the SLO or like, yeah, we know it's slow or, you know, increase the server size and like, let's, we'll revisit it in six months. So I'm just kind of like thinking of all these, like these things that used to drive me nuts uh, working at other companies. And it's, it's like, I don't know if you guys, if you're at a, you know, a top tier shop, like a GitHub or Google, do you guys, it sounds like you guys prioritize these, these, uh, these types of initiatives where it's like, if we're not hitting our error budget, yeah, it's time to, time to go. Yeah, yeah, got, absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. And to kind of just like plus one on that, um, that's kind of the, I don't want to say the problem with the SRE book, but something that it lacks, right? Is like, how do you actually alert on your SLOs or like your, or your SLIs and things like that? Like SRE does a really good, or the SRE book does a really good job of talking about like SLOs, SLIs, like toil and like on-call rotations. And, and really that's what it's around is eliminating the toil of operations work. Um, if you're familiar with the SRE book, there's actually kind of like a sister slash companion book that was, I think, written sometime after. I don't know when it came out, a couple of years ago, um, called the SRE Workbook. Would highly recommend giving that a read because it goes into exactly the sort of things that you're talking about there. There's literally a section that's like alerting on SLOs and it has, you know, like what PromQL Prometheus queries should you actually use uh, in order to like calculate your burn rate or like when should mm -hmm. you start alerting? Um, based on your SLIs and things like that. So would yeah. highly, if you're looking on like the implementation side, highly recommend the SRE workbook as opposed yeah. to just the SRE. Yeah. And, I'd second it, that. and it's like, oh, the alerts go to the Slack channel that's supposed to be monitored by the team, <laughs> but then half the developers on the team have muted the channel. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. all these things, like if, when you're dealing with like the, um, that impact how teams operate. So, all right. Um, sorry for that. Uh, uh, fork in the road there, Tom. I know you wanted to move on to SLAs, which is, I think is like the the highest. He walked kind of away. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, <laughs> he, 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 he was like, oh, I'm done. Like um, SLAs. So let's yeah, so SLAs. How do SLAs tie into the um, SLOs and SLIs that we've kind of defined and sure discussed? So, so an SLA stands for Service Level Agreement. So generally, this is like a publicly published agreement of it's really an slo but it's like a publicly published one right it's like saying we as this company will provide will guarantee that our service will be available this amount this percentage based on this time frame and generally also includes like if we're not here's what their consequence and usually that ends up being some kind of monetary consequence like if you look at like aws uh, I'm assuming Google Cloud probably has the same thing. They'll say like, if if depending on how much time we 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 failed, you'll get this amount of credit. Um, you generally make your your agreement lower than your internal standards to give you that sort of flexibility um, to 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 you know experiment and like fail. Um, but ultimately, like this this is like your kind of your contract with your customers. 
Yeah, and I think yeah, it's interesting that Tom walked away there because it kind of brings up like a, a good point that like SLOs, while we care about them in SRE, they're kind of like outside of the scope of the SRE. They're really like more of like a business decision, maybe even like a legal one. Um, so, so it's kind of interesting that he had to get up and like walk out of the room because it's that's kind of like symbolic of, of SLAs within like SRE organizations. So that is it's it's a business thing. It's not like a technical or an engineering thing. It's just one entity saying to another, like, hey, yeah, if we're not meeting this level of service, like we're at fault, we've done something wrong. So th they are kind of, uh, you know, tied to SLOs and that they should probably always be a little bit lower, um, but they're kind of in the realm of the business things and, and you know, business agreements and things like that. So th while we do uh, care about them and they are important, they're they're outside of the realm of like the technical parts of SRE and more, um, right. So I mean, if I'm, in, if I'm in marketing or if I'm in leadership and I'm, you know, a non-technical person and, you know, my SREs come to me and say, well, what, you know, what's an, what's a, what's an acceptable SLA for the service? You know, I might say, well, I mean, hundred percent, our customers need this thing up hundred percent. Like, what do you, you're asking me how, 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 how much failure you're, we're going to tolerate, you know? So, I mean, I've dealt with it. How do you, how do you guys deal with that type of expectation? That's not realistic when you're dealing with the non-technical stakeholders or even technical stakeholders, you know, just people who say it needs to be up hundred percent of the time. How do you, how do you kind of navigate that diplomacy of like, well, we need to, it can't be hundred percent, but it needs to be something. So I guess the way I try to think about it is like, okay, well, we have, we have what we can control, right? Like we can control the software that we push. We can control the settings in like, Kubernetes, if we're running on Kubernetes, whatever. But there's going to be things outside of, of that we cannot control. Like, literally, you can even think about, like, electricity coming into the data center, right? Like, there could be catastrophic failure there. And ultimately, we have no control over that. So because there's so many sub-dependencies, like, there's no way you could ever hit 100%. And even if you decided you wanted to, that means you could never, ever, ever have any kind of failure. So every code push is a huge risk. Uh, every configuration change is a huge risk. And you're really just going to burn your engineers out because they're just going to be constantly worried of like, well, uh, if, if anything goes wrong, I've ruined our, our SLA and our company is going to like die because we have to pay a bunch of money to people. Yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective, like, you know, four nines, 99.99% availability. That gives you a budget of, like an hour, year, a year, right? Of like downtime. And that's that's like almost nothing. Um, so I, I think it's like very, um, you know, when you think about that number of what you want it to be to the public, you know, um, you have to give it a reasonable budget um, or else you're going to find yourself in a lot of uh, difficult uh, marketing and public relations challenges and even billing uh, when people are saying, you know, you missed SLA, so, you know, give me my money back. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on SLAs, uh, Jordan? Yeah, so uh, uh, Ben Trainer is the guy that kind of like invented, he was like the father of SRE within Google. Um, please don't tell him I'm saying this, but I have a theory that uh, SRE kind of like Google made it public in order to kind of like help set the expectation that like they're not going to be 100% available. Um, it's probably not true, but I'm going to believe it is. And, and no one can change my mind except for maybe him directly. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just uh, education in like the industry and the community. And, you know, like you said, like technical folks um, tend to understand it a little bit better. So I think it's 
most of it is education, you know, going to like the business and being like, hey, we can't meaningfully get to this number. That's a really big part of it. And the other thing is just understanding that reliable systems can be built upon unreliable ones. So the best example of this that most people are probably familiar with is like RAID, right? So we have a, a, a disks. Um, you know, in the olden days, they used to be spinning pieces of rust, you know, physically moving things. Um, these fail all the time. So what we decided to do was just take a redundant array and stick it all in one box. And then all of a sudden we can tolerate when one of these unreliable disks failed in order to create a more reliable system. So introducing redundancy into your sort of, um, to anything that you can is going to kind of help mitigate the, the fact that you can't meaningfully achieve 100% availability on, on any given thing. So yeah, education around, um, you know, the fact that 100% is, is not attainable and just the fact that reliable systems can be built upon unreliable ones is, is a big, big piece there. Uh, Tom, you stepped away and we, we kind of went into the um, SLA topic. So if yeah. it, was there anything, and I, you know, I just, you had something on your mind. I want to make sure you get a chance to bring it up and see if we can discuss it. Uh, j just the the balance between them. Not sure if you talked about it, right? But like, who's setting the one versus the other, and uh, you know who's who's maintaining that. So yeah, I think we we did we did touch on it, so we yes. won't rehash it. But it was kind of like uh, you know, <laughs> it's a combination. And Tom stepping away again. Tom walks away again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he actually cares. <laughs> All right. So like this is really um I, I want to be respectful of everyone's time so we can wrap it up here. Um, you know, every, anyone's welcome to share some final thoughts, but you know, I think this really um kind of opens up Pandora's box of what other things we could talk about related to SRE because it's you know, it gets into like postmortems and you know how the SREs actually help uh delivery teams achieve these SLOs, right? Because you, you guys aren't just like the gatekeepers, you know, sitting on a wall and, you know, sitting in your tower and judging, like you guys are in there trying to help them to build these things. So I'd like, you know, I think we could really take this series in so many directions. Um, really appreciate um, the insights that everyone brought to the table today. And uh, I'll leave it at that. If anyone else does anything else they want to add, go, go, go for it. Nothing. Okay. Well, this concludes uh, another great discussion with the Great Lakes Tech Leaders. Um, we're having a lot of fun here. Please join us at uh, leaders.rbn.ai. Hop on the Discord and uh, become part of the community. And uh, look forward to having another SRE talk maybe in uh, January. Kyle, Jordan, does that work for you? Absolutely. Okay. Like, subscribe, uh, ring the bell, uh, donate to my Patreon. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> whatever else they say. <laughs> uh, all right. Take care, everyone. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, thanks everyone.